Hey, Matt. Hey. Is that a Bitcoin? Are you happy to see me? <laughs> Proud of yourself? Yeah. Not what I mean exactly. What I mean is, who's whistling? Welcome to Talk Bitcoin to Me, a down and dirty podcast to get nitty gritty with the booty, a space for folks to learn about Bitcoin without feeling stupid. Please note, we are not financial advisors any more than your favorite murder podcasters or licensed detectives, so please don't mortgage your house on our advice. Thanks. We're going to kick off today's show with a quick word about our sponsors. Uh, first up is kernel modular as everyone, it seems, except us is moving into their home, not their <laughs> apartment. Thanks guys. Way to leave us behind. Hit up kernel modular for all of your cool shelving needs. If you want that like beautiful, I really want to show everyone all of my grains kitchen. Or if you finally want to elevate your record collection out of the boxes and onto the walls, check out kernel modular. You're going to get a discount with the code bitty bitty bum bum. Thanks, Matt. On to Redeemer. If you're out there and you're thinking, is there an alternative to Tylenol? I mean, that's on my mind all for the time. my headache when I'm driving around for my thinking, stress level. Is there an alternative to Tylenol? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty common question in this day and age. Well, good news for you, there is Redeemer. All natural, family grown, woman owned, LGBTQ owned hemp from a hemp farm in Austin, Texas. They are killing it down there, guys. And we want to bring up some of that great energy to the Portland area. So if you're one of our listeners, no matter where you are, hop on to redeemersmallbatch.com. You can place an order with our code TALKBITTY15. You get 15% off your order. And guys, we get a little payout from that. And then we just turn right around and buy more of their stuff. Like if you get those heady period cramps like I do, you can just pop one of their CBD pills. I've also got their drops for when I'm making mocktails and I just want to like my body to feel good because I can't take a bath, even though I've probably taken three baths that day. Go ahead and hit them up. Place an order. You will not be disappointed. There's a lot of stuff I want to talk about in this episode, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> I want to ask you questions about like the dollar index and what has become of El Salvador and the Fed raising rates. I want to talk about like, what are bonds? I don't know. But that's not what we're going to talk about in this episode because good because uh, <laughs> I was about to like pull out my uh, I was going to say the source. What would you pull my out? My internet, <laughs> your pocket internet, mm -hmm, my pocket internet. <laughs> and I just instead want to make an episode that you can a listen to for a refresher or b send it to your friends, preferably b. Hopefully, you don't need a refresher. Hopefully, you're an even more of a Bitcoin expert than we are at this point, listener. This is going to be a 10-minute-ish. What is Bitcoin? really hold it to that. Okay, here's the deal with what we're about to do. We're about to explain Bitcoin in 10-ish minutes with Matt as the referee and me as the talker. All right, Matt, ask me questions, and I'm going to try to answer them as best I can. You can intervene with questions, or you can correct me. But okay. It's a good way for a newbie to explain Bitcoin to fellow newbies. Okay, well, we'll just start with what is Bitcoin, Kaylee? Bitcoin is digital gold. Bitcoin is magic internet money that can transcend time and space, unlike other kinds of money. It's transcend not time and space. You mean transfer value across time and space, maybe? Yes, I can send Bitcoin across the world 
quickly, unlike being able to do that with dollars or because of uh, its centralized nature, meaning I can't transfer dollars around without people having eyes on it, like institutions, banks, the Fed. So you can transfer the dollars. The, the point you're making is someone's in between it. Right. So Bitcoin is decentralized. There's no one printing more of it. It's perfectly scarce. There's only going to be 21 million of them, which takes care of a lot of economic theory issues with a perfect money. Because in order to have a perfect money, it needs to be what we call hard. It needs to be predictable. It needs to have a predictable stock to flow ratio. There's there's so many terms you're throwing out. Let's go back a little bit. Okay. Sorry. Decentralized. What do you mean by that? Decentralized meaning not centralized, meaning it's not controlled by a sovereign entity. Sovereign meaning someone with power over other people. I think it means um, not controlled by any centralized entity in general. It doesn't have to be sovereign. It's just so any no one central... controls it. No, yeah. no one is at, in charge of Bitcoin. It's like everyone controls it. And it's, instead it's... of making me panic, instead of me being like, well, who's in charge here? It makes me realize, well, if no one's in charge, that means everyone is in the case of Bitcoin. That means that all of these computers that are mining Bitcoin, and we can go into mining later, but all of these, nope. No, nope. we're not going to get that deep into it. Okay, but all of these computers that are, let's just say, running Bitcoin on their computers, they act as like this sticky, tacky spider web that the more computers are online, that's one more computer that someone would have to hack to get at this main system. Whereas like if you wanted to hack, I don't know, the dollar, you'd really just kind of need to hack one place, the Fed. Okay, moving on. When you say there's a fixed supply of 21 million what are you talking about? So kind of like gold, which has a pretty pretty predictable stock-to-flow ratio, we understand how quickly it's going to come out of the ground and enter the market. Um, if it all of a sudden why, just... Why do we understand? Like, why do we understand that? Because we have an eye on mining and we understand how, um, how much work and energy it takes into getting gold out of the earth. And it is a scarce element. But, but why do we know... What I'm trying to get at is that Bitcoin has code right. that is public, so, right? So it's open source. You're you can... jumping ahead of me. So similar to gold, us understanding its stock-to-flow ratio, what that prevents is what we know as inflation, as more of gold coming on the market devaluing the existing gold, um, more dollars being printed that devalue the existing dollars. So we have to find a money where that is impossible. That cannot happen because we could hit an asteroid and it could be full of gold and then bam, all of a sudden gold is debased. So we need a perfect money that has this perfect scarcity. And because Bitcoin is a digital money, it means that it's governed by a computer program. So something that's coded into the very fabric of Bitcoin's existence is that it can only be issued at a, at a steady, constant rate that we won't go into. But And once we meet 21 million coins, that's all that will ever be issued. So there's perfect, predictable stock-to-flow ratio. And then once it's all out, it's a perfect, predictable, scarce amount. So if there's only 21 million coins, how can everyone have some Bitcoin? Um, because Bitcoin goes out to eight decimal places. So like our dollars go out to two, there's a hundred cents to every dollar. There's a hundred million Satoshis to every Bitcoin. Okay. All right. Uh, why 
why um can't the government just ban it then? Like, would the government want to do that? Like, what's the deal? So a lot of governments would definitely want to ban Bitcoin because it is a direct competitor to their own currency. Um, because it, it fixes a lot of problems that we have when we have sovereign states printing money. There's never been a sovereign state in the history of the earth that has resisted the temptation to inflate its own currency. They have a printing machine. They can click print and they do. Therefore, but governments see Bitcoin as a threat. And yes, governments can, just like they invade on our privacy every day, they can um, attempt to regulate Bitcoin. They can tax it. They can um, Im impose regulations on it. But because Bitcoin is global and universal and it's not centralized to one specific government, it becomes an issue of all of these different sovereign states having to come together to ban one giant global thing. And we've already seen some sovereign states adopting it as legal tender. Um, El Salvador did that. A few countries are not far behind. And I'm not out here saying that we should follow El Salvador's example. But I am saying that it would be kind of like trying to fight a war on, I don't know, terrorism. It's really difficult to nail down an idea. And Bitcoin fundamentally is an idea. Yes, yes. Okay. I like that. Let me ask you this question. Let's talk about, let's talk about Bitcoin's price because people get freaked out about volatility and yada, yada. What would you say to that about why, why is Bitcoin's price like swing so much? Like what's going on? So in economics, when you look at how money becomes money, it actually goes through phases. It goes through collectible. So something that like beanie babies never got past. And then it heads into store of value, meaning it's just a place to keep your wealth that will not depreciate. Keeping your wealth in cars is not super smart, if you drive them especially. Keeping your wealth in houses, pretty smart. That appreciates. So it's a store of value. A lot of people keep gold because it's a store of value. Dollars, however, deflate. Not a great store of value. The next step in becoming a money is a medium of exchange. I look at you and I go, hey, I want some of uh, that candy that you make and I love it, it's delicious. Can I give you some Bitcoin? That's now a medium you of mean exchange. These caramels? <laughs> and then after that, we have something called a unit of account. It's kind of like, it, it's almost like it's entered our lexicon. It's like what you would see when you looked at a menu when you went into a restaurant. The prices would be listed in that as a unit of so account. So like the unit account in so many places. Is the dollar. Is the U.S. dollar. And side note, the U.S. dollar is the unit of account, not because it's backed by gold. A lot of people think that it is. It used to be. It is no longer. It's actually backed by the full faith and violence of the U.S. government <laughs> and the fact that we control oil. And so when you list the price of oil in the dollar, that's why it's called the petrodollar. You're forcing everyone to use your language. So it's it's coercion. Did you know that um, some countries are trying to get away from that right now, by the way? Spit, Russia... Russia and China and a few others apparently have been using trying to use the euro. I just I just learned this. Well, I wish it was anyone but Russia and China, but great. Right. <laughs> right now, I would argue that Bitcoin has moved past a collectible phase and is now in the store of value phase. And of course, my devil's advocate would say, "Well, shit, 
giant $10,000 price wings don't make it an awesome store of value. And I would say, totally. Wouldn't it have been great if we had had a digital chart to watch gold's emergence over hundreds of years across the globe of people valuing it at different valuations, because I guarantee you what we would have seen is on Monday in Jerusalem, someone trading a nugget of gold for 10 donkeys. And then on the other side of the globe in China on that same day, someone trading a nugget of gold for a mansion. And it's just because when something is entering the market, there's going to be volatility because what you're watching is a global conversation about value. And the fact that Bitcoin has any value at all indicates that people are starting to see it as something that has extrinsic, not intrinsic, because I would actually argue that almost nothing has intrinsic value. You can't have value. And if if a pot of gold sits in the woods with no one to value it, it literally no longer has intrinsic value. It has to, we have to be there to appraise it. We have to be there willing to buy it for it to have value. Value is in the eye of the beholder. When you watch Bitcoin's price swings, what you're watching is a conversation of people realizing that maybe we do need a better money, or at the very least, we need a way to store our value in a, in, in a manner that we know can predictably appreciate, especially those of us who don't have access to an asset class like hedge funds and yachts and property. All right, Kaylee. So tell me a little bit, just as brief as you can, how would you describe to um, a five-year-old how Bitcoin works? Okay. So a really oversimplified way to talk about Bitcoin is to ask people to picture a Russian doll. Um, so Russian dolls are those dolls. It's like a big doll fits inside it has a smaller doll inside, a smaller doll inside, a smaller doll inside, a smaller doll inside, a smaller doll. But I want you to picture that infinitely. And I want you to picture it that like the only way you can get to that tiny doll inside is to hack through all the other dolls before it. Bitcoin functions on a blockchain and using blockchain technology, it means that fancy computer math um, mines or solves a very fancy computer problem. At a, at a predictable rate. And once it is solved, it's kind of like closed off. It's like gluing a Russian, another Russian doll shut. It's one more layer of protection that a hacker would have to hack through to hack back and adjust these public transactions in order to make an edit, in order to do like a whiteout, in order to amend a number. They would have to hack through these Russian dolls that are being kind of like cemented shut. So we say like a block was mined. I'm saying that these Russian dolls were cemented, so they're like closed shut. So with every passing moment, we have even more security locking up these transactions instead of just having to trust one centralized ledger. This is all occurring in the public eye in an unhackable, consistent way. Okay, so Kaylee, I feel like you've done a, an excellent job ex- explaining really? Bitcoin as fast you really as you possibly that? could. Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. You know, I mean, it's obviously like a million things that I would have been like, but what about, but yeah. how come? Yeah. But yeah, we're trying to do this fast. And, uh, you know, we've already said it all. So go back and listen if you really want to dive into the details. <laughs> we haven't said it all. Anyway, moving on, uh, kind of a final question here. Why should people care? Like, why does this, why is this like such a big newsworthy thing that people love to argue about and debate? And it's, who cares? 
Why is why does it matter? Um, I think there's a lot of reasons to care, but I I will give my like snappiest answer. Ooh. In a day and age when we are having what appears to be like multiple layers of indoctrination lifted from our eyes every day, like a new veil is lifted, like, oh man, I had no idea that we were doing that to the environment. Oh my gosh, I had no idea that we were teaching that in school. Oh my God, I had no idea that we were not teaching that in school. I had no idea that we are living in a fundamentally systemically racist country. I had no idea that Everything we do is steeped in patriarchy, is steeped in white supremacy. I mean, if you're interested in noticing ways that we can dismantle or disrupt fundamentally corrupt and centralized institutions like government that is bloated or things that we have inherited that we didn't necessarily consent to, this is finally a form of money that requires our consent and I think that if you're interested in consent, you might be interested in this new idea behind a money that requires it. Wow, that's a powerful message, and I liked it. And I think we're just going to end it there because I don't, uh, I don't think I can go anywhere from there. Uh, I don't know. That's yeah, just that's what I think. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this little mini episode. Uh, tune in next time where we talk about more fun things like our sex life. That's gross. Please don't ever do that again. Uh Uh-uh. Stop. Stop. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Bitcoin to Me. You can find any information and links that we mentioned in the show notes below. Keep an eye out for our next podcast by following us on Twitter at Talk Bitty to Me. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Why are you trying to sound like a robot? (laughs) (laughs) It's like like a hip-hop song. No. no. Talk Bitty to Me. Please (laughs) stop. Hey, podcast listeners. This is Chris Holsey. I'm the host of the new true crime podcast, Small Town Forgotten. In this first season, I focus on a very personal cold case. 31 years ago, my family member, Jimmy Wade Martin, was murdered in front of multiple witnesses in Bonterre, Missouri. A murder weapon was found, and a man confessed, and yet there have been no convictions and no justice for Jimmy Wade's twin daughters. You can listen to Small Town Forgotten directly from our website, smalltownforgotten.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.